Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes? Yes, yes? That is the perfect picture, Mark. Love it. <laughs> perfect. So, as I started writing this last night, I came across a story. Some of you that know me, you won't be surprised by that. I, I like to do things at the last minute. It leaves less time for stress. But Toad woke up. Drat, he said, this house is a mess. I have so much work to do. Those of you with children, you may think the same thing. Frog looked in through the window. Yes, Toad, you're right, said Frog. It is a mess. Toad pulled the covers over his head. I'll do it tomorrow. Today, I'm just going to lie in bed and take life easy. Frog came into the house. Toad, said Frog, your pants and jacket are lying on the floor. Tomorrow, said Toad, from under the covers. Your kitchen sink is full of dirty dishes. Tomorrow, said Toad. Your windows need scrubbing. Your plants need watering. Tomorrow, cried Toad. I'll do it all tomorrow. Toad sat there on the edge of his bed. You know what, Frog? I just feel so down. Why is that? Asked Frog. Well, I'm thinking about tomorrow, said Toad. I'm thinking about all the things I still have to do. Yes, said Frog, tomorrow's going to be a very big day for you. But Frog, said Toad, if I pick up my pants and jacket right now, then I'll not have to pick them up tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you'll not have to. Toad picked up his clothes, folded them, put them away in his closet. Frog, said Toad, if I wash my dishes right now, then I won't have to do them tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you'll not have to. So Toad wandered over to the kitchen, started washing his dishes, he dried them, stacked them, put them away in the cupboard. Frog, said Toad, if I dust my shelves, scrub my windows, water my plants right now, then I won't have to do it tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you'll not have to do any of it. So Toad dusted his shelves, scrubbed his windows, and watered his plants. There, said Toad, now I feel so much better. Why is that, asked Frog? Because I've done all that work, said Toad. Now I can save tomorrow for something I really want to do. And what's that, asked Frog? Tomorrow, said Toad, I can just take life easy. And with that, Toad went back to bed. He pulled the covers over his head and fell asleep. It's a really good idea to do things today because you never know what sort of chaos tomorrow will bring and then you're going to have a whole new list of things to do. Dennis Waitley once said, time is an equal opportunity employer. Each human being has exactly the same number of hours in a day and minutes in every day. Rich people can't buy more hours, scientists can't invent new minutes and you can't save time and spend it another day. Even so, time is amazingly fair and forgiving. No matter how much time you've wasted in the past, you still have an entire tomorrow. So procrastination. This is something, and I understand the irony of starting with the phrase as I started writing this last night, but judge as you may, take comfort in the fact that I'm the first to admit that I'm guilty of procrastination. I do it all the time. I'm so good at procrastinating, I can procrastinate procrastinating. That's an issue that I have. But what's an issue that all of us share? I'll let you ponder that for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, feel free to pick them up. Otherwise, I'm going there anyway, and you can just listen. But Mark chapter 11, 
verses 22 to 24. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God, truly, I say to you, whoever says this uh, to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's a pretty powerful promise, isn't it? Belief. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Beliefs are very important. They shape our view of the world, and they help inform our own responses to it. If someone offered you a million dollars, right here, right now, conditional on you believing that you'll develop superpowers in the next five minutes, real superpowers, invisibility, freezing time, the ability to fly, whatever you've always, you know, had that feeling that you'd like if you were granted such abilities, would you be able to do it? I could claim that I would believe. I could really want to believe it. But I doubt that I could actually make myself believe that I would have superpowers in the next five minutes. There's no evidence of this really ever happening. And there's a lot of evidence against it happening. Our core beliefs as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, what are they? Where do they come from? What do we reference? What do we study? What informs us and shapes our actions? It's the Bible, right? So, with that in mind, sidelining any theological arguments for the moment, because we all believe the same book, but we've all got slightly varying opinions on certain issues, we can all agree that the Bible is the central point of reference for us, right? It's what we always go back to. Well, this leads to that question I left with you just a moment ago. That one issue that we all share, something we all have in common. In 1983, the President of the US, Ronald Reagan, signed into law an act of Congress proclaiming the year to be the year of the Bible. The law described the Bible as the word of God and said there's a national need to study and apply its teachings to our lives. Yet recently, polls suggest that only 24% of people believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. It's not a very large number. It's the lowest rate in over 40 years. I used to train with a good friend of mine. He was heavily, heavily atheist. He believed that religion was the dominating force behind all the issues throughout history. So much so that he told me many times before I had let him know that I was a Christian, that he believed all Christians should be put to death and that the world would run a lot smoother if that were to happen. We then, after I informed him that I was a Christian, had some pretty good discussions, and he told me that he'd read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. So I just asked, what, what did you think? What, what, what did you think when you've read this, this book? He told me it was quite interesting, but full of fiction. He described it as somewhat similar to a collection of children's stories. So this is the issue that we all share. We have a belief, 
that used to be a lot easier to share. There used to be a lot more belief in our higher power. There used to be a lot more acceptance of religion. There used to be a lot more acceptance of the Bible. How do we communicate our message when people stop trusting religion? Because they've been hurt by it. Because everything they're being told says it isn't true. How do we share our faith when our central source of information is so widely disbelieved? This is a great passion of mine, and this is something I often question to myself. Not only for my own spiritual growth, my own mental stimulation, I like a good debate, if you're ever after one, but it's a method of outreach as well. When I'm placed in, or at times jump into difficult conversations with others, I cherish discussion and debate from those with informed opinions. How do we prove that our religion, our beliefs, and our understandings make sense in the absence of the Bible as a trusted source? Don't mistake me here. I believe the Bible. I believe it's extremely important and powerful. But I want to reach those who don't. I want to reach those who don't believe that the Bible is powerful, who don't yet believe in its importance. I don't need to convince you. You're already here. But there are many people out there searching for answers, many who have a built-up frustration and distrust in religion, many to whom science renders religion redundant. How do we empower ourselves and our children to have those open discussions with others? The world is growing and changing, seems ever more rapidly, but maybe I'm just getting old. My children, for example, will likely learn a Chinese dialect in school, as it'll be far more useful to them than the French that I learned, which I didn't learn very well, just as a side note, and have never really used. We're even preparing to send people to Mars. We have electric cars, they're replacing fossil fuels. We have banned single-use plastics and gone back to floppy old paper straws. Recently, Researchers have even successfully taught a surgical robot to make sutures by, of all things, watching YouTube videos. The team required only 78 instructional medical videos to train the AI behind the robot to enable it to perform the procedures better than a lot of trained professionals. Much of this change in growth is underpinned by dis uh, the disciplines of math, science and physics. So let's for a moment explore some science, completely isolated from the Bible, and see how it fits in with Christianity. That thing that we all hold so dearly. All right, so with that in mind, let's get just a little nerdy. I'll try not to bore you to death. I'm sure you all remember the first law of thermodynamics, yes? Look at that. What did we learn in school, I ask you? When I say it, you'll definitely remember it. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? You push someone over, they'll probably push you back, etc., etc. an eye for an eye. Energy, in our current understanding, can never be created or destroyed. The total amount of energy in the universe stays the same. It simply converts into different forms 
but it's, it's always constant. There's never more, there's never less. So then we move on to the second law of thermodynamics, which states that as energy is transformed between these different forms, more and more of it is wasted. If you think of when you turn a light on, a traditional halogen globe, 90 plus percent of the light is burnt off in heat. It does a better job at not what it's supposed to do than what it does. Most of the energy used in light globes doesn't produce light. How crazy is that? But we still use them. So since this energy is never lost, it simply doesn't go into what was intended, and therefore any isolated system degenerates into a more and more disordered state tending towards chaos, because all that energy is still there. It's just going towards something that was never intended. Chaos is the inherent unpredictability in the behavior of a complex natural system. As more and more steps are taken, small variables have an increasingly large effect. I'm sure you've all heard of the butterfly effect. Yes, one flap of a butterfly's wings builds up and forms a tornado somewhere else. And there's a reason that that's given as an example. It's obviously just an illustration, but many small things do gradually build up into large things. You can see this, and chaos in particular, more naturally occurring. If you look at the old abandoned city of Chernobyl, just around reactor number four, I believe it is, what's happened there? It doesn't look like the lovely city that was left, abandoned with very little notice. It's actually something I wouldn't mind going and exploring. But the jungle has just taken over. Everything's breaking down. The animals are moving back in. It's hard to imagine what it once must have been. Such an exciting place for all those who move there for a great job, all the possibilities. Similarly, when a car is left out in a field, it doesn't magically improve. It doesn't evolve into the next model so that you no longer need to purchase a new car. I've left my car sitting there for a long time and it hasn't magically developed a turbo, much to my dismay. So, that's all right, we bought a new one that had some. If you leave a car sitting there, or anything really, it doesn't even stay how you left it, does it? I know I clean my car and I look at it again and it's dirty. Beyond that, leave it for long enough, it rusts, it breaks down. It becomes less and less of what it used to be and more and more disordered pile of parts and scrap. This is the tendency of this principle towards chaos. Everything, by its own natural course, goes towards chaos. So, another example for you. Turn on a tap, just gently. The water flows out nice and smoothly. A little variation in the flow, it's just a perfectly smooth beam of water. But what happens if you turn it up? As far as it'll go, as per fluid dynamics, turbulence increases with the higher rate of water coming out of the tap, water starts to splash. 
everywhere. Now you have a mess to clean up. Chaos. As Mark mentioned, the wars, viruses, everywhere we look, everything seems to be getting more and more complicated. I mean, we were on the way out this morning to come to church. Strapped Kyan, tick. Half-strapped Brodian. And he said, we poo. Now, he's toilet training, he's doing pretty well. But that's the magic words, that means there's a countdown on. And we didn't make it. And that's all right. But we were already possibly running a little later than I'd have preferred, banking some time for traffic and all of that. So that's it, rip him out, take him in. I don't know how familiar you guys are with explosives, but C4 is very powerful, very, very powerful. But what makes it even more powerful is if you put a little bit of steel beam, like a V shape, because that then turns regular old C4 into a shape charge. So what otherwise explodes and has not much purpose or function beyond destruction can slice through steel doors and anything else you wish and imagine. So I never really understood until this morning, but nappies are shape charges. He had it up both sides, right up to his belly button, and it was more than I was ready for, but we got there. The more and more things that occur, the more possibilities, and thus the greater chance for chaos. Once you have a couple of kids, your life is never as simple as it once was. People warn you, but you never really know. If you look at cancer cells, with more cells in your body, you have a greater chance for developing cancer because of this random chaos theory. Therefore, large, large animals such as blue whales and elephants should have a higher incidence of cancer. They're far bigger than we are, but they don't. They have a special enzyme that we're currently trying to decode that reduces their incidence for cancer substantially. They have lower rates than far smaller animals, yet they have a lot more cells and a lot more chance to develop cancer. How does any of this theory of chaos relate to Christianity and our beliefs, though? I mean, it's all around us. I, we can discuss, we can argue after church that everything isn't chaotic. But I believe it is. I believe this theory of chaos is very, very relevant to us as well. We can see that the natural world tends towards constant and increasing chaos. And if we overlay our own Christian beliefs onto that framework that's provided purely by science, nothing to do with the Bible, I'd suggest that we have a frame of reference as to why. I propose that we can answer this question simply by sin. Sin seeks to take apart, to break down and to destroy. Sin thrives in chaos. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path to salvation. The more busy, the more chaotic, the more distracted you are, the harder it is to be saved. To this end, I'd also argue that to be a Christian, you need to be an active Christian. 
It's a constant effort to overwhelm the natural tendency of the world that we live in. And I don't think that's by chance. There's so much to distract us, so much to keep us busy. It's a constant effort. Sitting there, getting stuck in a rut in our daily routine doesn't lead us towards salvation. It takes effort, constant, focused effort. I used to wish, and I think I've told some people before, I just wished I could clean my teeth so well, so well that one time that I wouldn't have to worry about it. I could tick it off for the rest of my life. That's not how things work. It takes that constant effort, day in, day out. You need to keep directing yourself, pointing yourself towards what you want to achieve. We know that works themselves don't earn grace. Faith does. But if you believe and you're spiritually connected, then you'll have a drive, a deep desire to do, to learn, to progress and to share. If you don't do anything at church to help the progress of the church, then it doesn't help the church grow. If you only show up to be entertained, it's a passive drain on those who do help out and it diverts the efforts from reaching those who need it and who are searching. And then many, many people are. And they don't even know they are. So I challenge you today, God needs an active church. He needs a church that's spiritually on fire for him. Study the word. Look out for those around you, those in the congregation, people you randomly meet on the street. Find ways to utilise your gifts in service. You may not ever directly see the impacts on people's lives, but you could be the butterfly that creates a tornado in someone else. Gain a deeper understanding of what you believe so that you're better equipped to communicate with others when God sends them your way. Be an active Christian today. Do it now and don't procrastinate.